I think in the times of crisis, that's actually when you double down on uh, innovation projects and when, when you uh, rethink the business models, uh, rethink how you do things and uh, try to do things differently. And uh, as I keep saying, no idea is a bad idea in times like this. Today, Yevgeny, the CEO of Clause Match, joins the podcast to talk all about their launch in the US and how regtech is being affected by the changes going on in the economy at the moment. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly tech podcast with myself, David Savage, where we interview technology leaders and bring you a bit of industry news. Joining me today, uh, as as ever recently, I'm kind of leaning on you quite heavily here, Akish. Uh, we have Akish. <laughs> How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well, David. You all right? You good? Yeah, nearly blew my head off last night. Why? What you I made a chana masala, homemade chana masala. God, here we go. All right, yeah. Uh, go it, was, it was quite spicy. <laughs> All right. What are we talking? What are we talking? What sort of spice? What? What? Chili powder? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so, so it was, it was, I blitzed onion, garlic, yep. ginger, and yep. fresh chilies. Okay. Yep. As a base. And then it was turmeric, cumin, chili powder, yep. garam masala. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's one more that I can't remember. Uh, but yeah, and then chickpeas, tomatoes, new potatoes. Nice. That was it, Very with nice. rice. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, fresh coriander and a bit of lemon. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Mate, it, I like a spicy curry. Yeah. I, I'll, not amazing, amazingly spicy, but I'll, mm. I'll order a, I'll order a madras and be happy, you know? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. This was that kind of hot, which... If I got from a restaurant, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. But homemade, I wasn't quite expecting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just was like, oh, made this a bit war- bit, bit warmer than I expected it to be. I'm yeah, sure yeah, it's yeah. not a patch on stuff that you might cook or your family <laughs> might cook. But- I mean, I can't, yeah, I can't cook curries. But um, yeah, but my mum, obviously. You can't yeah. cook curries? Well, I can cook like one or two, but not, not, not to the level of my mum, like. Oh, right, okay, fair enough. I'm just yeah, going to say they're, they're actually quite easy. Like I, I yeah. can cook. They're probably not great, but I can cook a curry because I got yeah, all the spices yeah. in the cupboard, and they're actually they're quite a quick meal, really. They are, yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, the good thing about curry, and, and a lot of people don't understand, everything's fresh. Yeah, like, all the ingredients are fresh. Everything's like, and especially, I don't know, are you still doing that vegan, vegetarian? Uh, yeah. Thing? So I, I had a pizza yeah. a week ago. Okay. Um, cool. uh, with cheese. Yeah. Um, and maybe some meat. So, yeah, ninety-five percent of the time, I am. Fair vegan. enough. Yeah, Occasionally, yeah. I'll cheat because yeah. I'm not doing this on ethical grounds. No, fair enough. But also, the Indian kind of cuisine or South Asian cuisine for vegetarians is actually very, very good. Hang on. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because a large part of the population is actually vegetarian. So, yeah, um, yeah. No, it's decent. And it's very easy to make it vegan. Like instead of ghee, I used a bit of olive oil. There you go. Yeah, 100%. Um, but yeah, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. But um, yeah, my mum's not impressed with my cooking, to be honest. Um, when she does come over and uh, I'm like, Mama, I'll cook. And uh, she's like, what is this? Too runny, too watery. You haven't cooked it for long enough, that sort of thing. So yeah, I just tell her to I'd tell her to bring her apron and cook for, my, cook for me anyway. <laughs> tell you what, you should get one of your mum's best vegetarian curry recipes off her. Yeah. And we'll post it on Twitter. I'll text her after this. Hundred <laughs> percent, I will text her. And she hasn't got Twitter, but she might make a Twitter account just to retweet it or something. <laughs> I, I will. I will then make it, and I can. I can tell you how successful or not it All was. Right, cool. Um, right. 
let's actually get into some technology talks. Uh, <laughs> um, today's guest uh, is Yevgeny from Claws Match. Um, this is all about regtech, uh, initially fintech and finance, but as you'll see, breaking out beyond that, and is a returning guest. Uh, someone who we had on the show a couple of years ago. So that's always nice. We'll hand over to the interview and then we will be back with some commentary and a little bit of news. On today's show, we're talking to Yevgeny, the CEO of Claws Match. Uh, and you were actually on the show uh, briefly when we did a, 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 a kind of a series of shows from Level 39 around two and a half years ago when Level 39 hit, hit five years old. So it's lovely to, to welcome you back and do a proper uh, full episode of the podcast with you. Yes, I remember that uh, show as well. So uh, it was great and then great to speak to you again. Yeah, well, look, I mean, that was kind of rapid rapid fire. We we kind of featured about 20 companies and they were kind of five-minute interviews. So it's it's nice to kind of come back and uh, and, and do it properly now, especially when you're, you've got some big news, which we'll come on to uh, in a moment. But for anyone who's obviously not familiar with Claws Match, I don't suppose you could start just by telling us what the business does. Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, Clausmatch is a regulatory technology company. Um, we have been working with uh, tier one uh, financial institutions like Barclays, uh, challenger banks like Revolut, uh, but also insurance companies and uh, other regulated industries. And the uh, Clausmatch platform provides a real-time collaboration um, suite of tools uh, for compliance risk um, and other departments which are dealing with compliance documentation. Um, and through our platform, uh, compliance departments can collaborate on compliance documents in real time. And uh, typically, uh, organizations use our platform for two things. Uh, one is um, centralized enterprise policy management, uh, which provides uh, modern tools, real-time tools for creating, updating, and distributing uh, policies to employees. And the second part is uh, regulatory change management. And that is uh, uh, allowing organizations to um, understand how regulatory documents, how regulatory obligations map to policies and procedures, and then controls. And that provides an overview of the entire compliance program and how it addresses uh, obligations of the organization that is uh, uh, that it's subject to so you your, your kind of heritage is financial services but since we last spoke you've broken out into other sectors right yeah absolutely um our platform is quite agnostic in terms of what type of content can be worked on it um and uh we have been working with uh, regulators recently so we've got two regulatory bodies uh publishing regulations via our platform and that is our vision as well is that we at some point regulators will publish um, regulations in a digital format um, rather than PDF documents or website updates. And uh, that way, through API or you know, through our platform, you are able to uh, ingest those regulations directly um, and then map them to your compliance documentation internally and internal controls. Uh, but also, we have been working with... Um, insurance uh, companies because insurance is highly regulated as well and mm -hmm. uh, more recently we have seen uh, compliance and regulatory projects coming out of insurance companies um, but then uh, last year uh, we uh, signed a contract with a partner uh, which operates in energy industry 
and energy industry is highly regulated as well. And uh, in energy, we also help uh, energy firms with compliance. So I suppose the interesting question to ask, of course, is what have the last three to four months done to the business? Because a part of me would imagine that the financial markets, whilst everyone's working from home, I suppose, maybe much of the policies haven't changed in finance, and maybe that's entirely naive. But I would kind of hope that they already had the regulation and policies locked down uh, for these kind of eventualities. I would imagine in other markets, maybe that's not the case, but it would just be really interesting to, to find out from you how lockdown in various countries and the pandemic has affected the business and, and what you're seeing across those various sectors. Uh, well, uh, I think we've seen a number of impacts um, of COVID over the last three months. Um, obviously, it's um, it's a terrible thing that is happening and um, um I think it was hard for some companies to adapt. And the, the, there were a, a number of things that we saw in the market. Uh, one is um, people had time to step back and uh, focus on what's important within the business. And uh, we have seen a lot of uh, financial institutions um, actually thinking through how innovation in our field and compliance could help them going forward, uh, they also saw the gaps they had in compliance. So, for example, you know, picking up uh, business continuity plans, um, disaster recovery policies, and then trying to very quickly update them and adapt them to the new environment, uh, you know, work from home policies. Um, in a large organization, it's extremely difficult to update those documents and then distribute to employees very quickly. So uh, the demand for collaboration tools, the demand for um, communication tools has gone up uh, tenfold, uh, if not more. Just out of interest, a point that you made there, and sorry, we'll get back to I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but you kind of suggested that maybe there's been a shift in the way that compliance and regulation is seen within some of these organizations. But I mean, prior to this, was it sometimes red tape and bureaucracy, something that needed to be done, whereas now it's an enabler because we're in a slightly different world? Well, I think it's, uh, it's both. In terms of uh, being red tape, I, I think a lot of compliance departments have been uh, changing over the last 10 years. Uh, Chief Compliance Officer sits on the board today um, and the role of compliance departments um, has changed. What we have seen is that the tools have not caught up uh, for compliance departments and uh, this period really allowed to start thinking about, well, how do we apply technology uh, in compliance uh, to help us stay compliant? So it's not just to address the current pandemic uh, crisis, but also looking forward and um, Thinking about uh, the actual, the you know, the strategy of compliance uh, departments, uh, and then uh, what we have also seen is that uh, regulators uh, have have had a changes have had to change as well, uh, because uh, suddenly regulators cannot be on site; they have to somehow still do regulatory exams and uh, understand whether. You know, banks have resilience um, in this current climate, but all the regulatory exams have to be remote. And suddenly it, it is a challenge. Um, so, for example, in the U.S., Department of Justice just issued a, a guidance note on um, 
compliance and uh, how compliance should be done uh, going forward. And the fact that manual processes and uh, manual tools uh, cannot work uh, anymore going forward. So they, uh, you know, they pushed technology very hard. One, one of the big sections was policy management because uh, policies are documents which uh, allow you to communicate to employees uh, in a central way what they're supposed to do in any given scenario. And policies are risk documents. Um, a policy exists if there is a risk uh, to address it. And so they're, they're extremely important. Out of interest, look, obviously the the the, uh, the pandemic is is awful on a lot of levels, but it has, at the same time, you can't avoid the fact that it's it's provided some opportunities for some businesses. It's caused some businesses to pivot. It's caused other businesses to go, well, here's, here's something that we can offer that helps other, other companies. Um, have you found that it's merely accelerated the offering that you take to the market or has it evolved it slightly? Has there been some element of pivot in terms of what you've been doing or is it simply that there's been high demand given the, the changes to the way in which businesses are working? Well, I think one, th one thing it highlighted that there are uh, often gaps in compliance programs um, and uh, it highlighted that there is there is a need for technology in um addressing those gaps. Um, what we also have seen is uh, quite, quite a lot of institutions put their budgets on hold and uh, put a lot of programs on hold, uh, while other institutions actually sped up their projects. And um, the, we, we have seen both on the market. And um, to me, it was um, kind of quite sad to see that some, some of the projects were put on hold just because I think in the times of crisis, that's actually when you double down on uh, innovation projects and when, when you uh, rethink the business models, uh, rethink how you do things and uh, try to do things differently. And uh, as I keep saying, no idea is a bad idea in times like this um, because any, any idea can uh, propel the business forward. And that's how a lot of successful businesses came out on top um, in the times of crisis, that's when it happens. So look, we, we alluded to the fact that you have some news at the beginning of the interview, and it kind of ties in quite neatly with what you're saying there. Um, because your business, uh, I suppose it's it, maybe it's not innovation, but you're, you're, you're spotting an opportunity. You're launching in the US. You've, you've been working with some institutions for some time, but you're officially launching in the US today. Uh, as of the date of recording, which is the 29th of June. Hopefully we'll get that this interview out this week, so it's still highly topical. Um, but what has that process been, and why why are you choosing to launch in the US now? Well, um, it's uh, uh, th these are exciting news for us. Um, launching in the US has been on the cards for a while, but... Um, uh, from the beginning of this year, we have seen a massive pull from the U.S. market. Uh, while before, you know, we evaluated this market and uh, launching in the U.S. is not a simple task um, for a European company. Um, you can do it wrong and then uh, it's uh, very difficult to fix it if you don't do it right. Um, so we have done it quite carefully over the last six months, um, evaluating the market uh, but we have been working with uh, around five global banks from North America, um, and we are now 
in implementation with uh, four of them, mm -hmm. uh, which has been uh, the signal for us to um, officially launch in the U.S. So we started hiring in the U.S. in the beginning of the year. Um, and uh, we have seen actually projects and uh, implementation uh, move in much, much quicker in the U.S. I don't know what it is, but uh, I think the U.S. market is a lot more mature from compliance point of view. Uh, there are a lot of compliance tools which, uh, which are based in the U.S., um, and I think it's because of the regulatory environment in the U.S. Um, it's a lot more complex. Um, you have federal regulators, but you also have each state has got uh, uh, regulators as well, which are regulating at a lo local level. Uh, for example, a financial institution, if they want to operate in all states, they need to get 50 licenses uh, or uh, 50 plus licenses, um, which means that uh, you need to have a very complex kind of compliance program to comply with those regulations. And then I think the other uh, part is that um, regulations are a lot more prescriptive in the US. And that means that um, actually you need tools to uh, keep track of regulations and then to um, keep track of your compliance with them. So you're obviously there describing that the, the compliance uh, and regulatory environment is very different in the US. I suppose as you, you kind of mentioned it's, it's difficult for European companies to go to the US for those reasons. Is dealing with customers reasonably similar? Because, you know, when you're talking about some of these financial institutions, they are global organizations. Or have you found that that has also been a bit different for a European organization in that, you know, when you've made hires in the States and you're, you're talking to contacts over there, that you've had to kind of slightly change the way in which you're business works possibly from a cultural or process point of view or is it purely that regulator environment that's the big hurdle no i think business environment is very different as well um uh, from the business point of view uh what i've noticed is that you get to yes or no answer much quicker uh you also the the pace of um uh, change that organizations uh bring into the you know, brain um, can be quicker. Um, and then there is this uh, slightly different attitude of um, let's try it, let's do it, um, and let's fail faster if it doesn't work. Um, and, you know, with smaller steps, you actually move faster. Uh, and that's what I've noticed uh, in, in the U.S. also, um, what I've seen is that the adoption of technology can be faster purely because the software market is a lot more developed uh, in the US because uh, there are more software providers, uh, there are more tools to choose from, um, and it's been a highly mature market. That, that, that's, that's interesting. I wouldn't have imagined that because you kind of think of, you think of, off, you think of software, sorry, uh, projects being, being so easy to offshore now, nearshore development, offshore development, that it does, it's not so geographically tied. So that's an interesting piece of insight. Yeah. And I think uh, we have to thank Silicon Valley for that because uh, it's uh, one of the you know oldest centers of uh, software development. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I, I hope that launch goes well. It sounds like it will because you've obviously got established customers there already. But uh, uh, we will make sure that when the episode goes out, there are links to some press releases around 
what that is and, and so that people can kind of understand the, the services a bit more. But I really appreciate your time this morning uh, having a chat. It's a Monday morning, often a busy time. So, so thank you very much for that. And yeah, good luck with the launch. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. All right, Keish, this has got to be right up your street, right? This is your, this is kind of your area of expertise. Yeah, I mean, you say that, and then uh, what if I say? <laughs> I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll say something completely wrong and make myself sound like an absolute lemon. Uh, not that I don't make myself sound like a lemon most weeks, but um, yeah, I know a little bit about the kind of regulation, compliance, you know, kind of technology area, um, reg tech, compliance tech, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah a little bit and and great product as well and also firstly before we start off congratulations on launching in the u.s um to our, our to our guests as well you know big achievement especially given the um the pandemic and mm. especially where the u.s is um which is you know a bit of a kind of struggling market it was good to hear that you know they've already seen so many projects and they're already hiring a lot of people given that the u.s is like an all-time low unemployment rate and stuff at the moment so yeah that's all yeah let's talk about that because that that is a good point right um, a lot of company, like there was news on 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 the on the radio yesterday. A lot of firms making staff redundant, mm. um, and it's awful that that's going on. It is. Um, mm. But the one thing I suppose that is is positive for the tech sector is that actually, if you're a professional services firm, your two biggest costs are staff and real estate. Mm. But tech is the thing that is likely to be the thing that you can spend money on that saves you money in other areas. And you know. Um, Yevgeny here talks about the fact that uh, people are having to look at, at, at the fact that, that technology is a must because the Department of Justice in the US, you know, manual processes and tools are now not mm. allowed. Mm. So from a compliance point of view, tech's role has increased. Um, and they wouldn't have four implementation projects going on right now in the US if it wasn't an area that was still being invested in. To your point, mm. they're hiring. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And also, I, th I think um, yeah, compliance was compliance for, for many years has just been seen in, all, in a lot of big organisations, and I'm going to talk specifically financial services. It has been seen as a fairly non-sexy area or, you know, where it's like, oh, well, what do you do? You're compliance. All oh, right, okay, so you're the internal police, so to speak, you know. Um, compliance was always seen as the people who could tell traders this is legal, this is not legal, this is right, this is not right. But whereas now, I think compliance has got to a stage where more and more they're dealing with analytics, they're dealing with data. You've got a lot of regulations uh, in the UK, for example, which are looking at people, conduct, risk, which, you know, you can't necessarily, if you imagine a global bank, you cannot have that data available to you in order to actually make yourself comply unless you have some sort of technology, you know, that's helping mm. you. Um, so that's why people like Clause Match, um, for years, there's been other people like LexisNexis, um, you know, Nysactomy's kind of systems as well. Um, but yeah, it's just good to see that there's there's innovation happening. And a lot of the big banks, I know, uh, you know, you've Ginny kind of mentioned that they, they've been working with a lot of big corporations, that a lot of big banks are actually investing in in you know, organizations like his, um, which is great to see. And, and and I'm sure, you know, it's only uh, entrenched further by comments, you know, from Barclays in the last week along the lines of they can't ever foresee a situation where they'll have thousands of staff in an office in Canary Wharf again. And so, 
you know, to Evgeny's point, you know, business recovery, disaster recovery plans, they weren't fit for purpose. There's a much greater use of collaboration tools going on, which we're all aware of. Mm. But if if we are now so far past the point of return to normal that we are not returning to normal and companies like Barclays are making comments like that, then it only stands to reason that where there are gaps in compliance at the minute, those those projects and programs need to go forward. Yeah, 100%. And also what happens when you know you need to create a new normal so to speak or create a new way of working you know you need to create governance you need to create policies you need to create a set of tools or a set of you know procedures to to move forward and who does that is compliance you know it's the internal kind of risk management business management or business continuity type teams that look after that and with software and tools like Evgeny's like others that are also available um, I think it's a great market to be in um, at the moment for for them and also just the risk compliance space but from what I've seen over lockdown um, has been one of the most buoyant areas within financial services because uh, like you said initially you had you know a lot of the, the banking regulations and, and, and mm-hmm. the kind of internal um, kind of compliance that they had to adhere to and then suddenly people thought oh hang on for a second you know yeah we can get our returns into the Bank of England to the PRA to the FCA but what are we doing with our internal governance you know what are we doing in terms of our internal compliance and how are we making sure you know things are being done um, to, a, to a level where we are being compliant um, with whatever regulator um, and that area has been booming so for consultants in those markets, for people in those areas, um, yeah, it has been a busy time. But I also think for organisations, that is definitely an area that they can 100% invest in. And also people like Evgeny should probably have the confidence to know that at least the first few years, you know, they, they should be flying. Um, and they, they have been, right, for the last few um seeing as he's a return return guest of yours. Yeah, uh, or ours, yeah. um, You know, so it's good to see the, the expansion, I guess. I, I suppose one of the points that I'd like to kind of just talk about for a second, he talks about compliance being more more mature, um, and that has a lot to do with the federal structure of the states. So, you know, if you, if you want to work across the entire country, you need 50 licenses. Mm-hmm. States reason. But we also know that the European fintechs have been slightly ahead of the US market with regards to the fact that, that they've they've long viewed the US as as almost like a greenfield site if you're a, a, a Revolut or an N26 and they've really tried to crack that um, or beginning to try and crack that. Um, whilst the compliance is obviously mature and that's great, it sounds like that might be stymieing innovation if the European startups are more able to take advantage, I suppose, of a lack of fintech uh startup mm. success stories in that space yeah i just wonder if, if that is the trade-off the the extra compliance has, has has just strangled a little bit the fintech startup market yeah i, th- I think it is because i don't know I, I read somewhere a few months ago actually where it was the kind of comparison comparison between the uk and the us on a global scale in terms of europe so let's look at europe and the us you know the the top kind of fintechs or the top challenger banks or the you know the challenging kind of uh, the front line of technology institutions, those were all coming out of Europe as compared to the mm. US. And they kind of, you know, made it a, a, a match of what, you know, is it a innovation versus product? You know, the the US, you look at Silicon Valley, you look at, you know, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Twitters, all these sorts of places, 
they've always had good tech, you know, technology kind of products, and they've always had good technologists. But maybe you know what the article was saying was well, maybe they don't have the innovation per se, you know, and and they don't have the the kind of entrepreneurial thinking or, or, or spirit that you know is in the uk or or, or kind of parts of europe so they that's were kind of trading off you know that entrepreneurial thing is what the states was known for right yeah, american yeah. dream uh, you know yeah. you, you you can literally be president if you want type thing um yeah, yeah. but clearly literally where- anyone can be a president there <laughs> well, yeah, <unfortunately>. <laughs> uh, um, but where it comes to fintech, and look, you know, most of the really huge success stories have come from from the US, but they're in yeah. other sectors. Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. And I think I'd agree it is a payoff. And I think I think more organisations that start in Europe, that start in the UK, should just take the plunge. I mean, I know it's easier said than done. It's easier for us to to say that, um, you know, and just say, yeah, just Top take the plunge. Idea from from yeah, two yeah, people yeah. who've never yeah. run a company. Exactly, exactly. You know, yeah, just take the plunge. Um, but I do think that there is a market over there that can definitely be used. Um, we spoke about it the other day, right, about Silicon Valley slowly mm-hmm. breaking down and, and, and the kind of fame and the, the glory kind of, you know, disappearing. And I think whilst just look at the size of the population, look at the people there, there's definitely stuff going on. And when it comes to compliance and regulation, I mean, they're the home of the biggest institutional and custodian banks in the world, right? Um, All the big banks that make up our Canary Wharf all are US banks or pretty much all of them. Um, So why not start there and why not actually just get into that? So yeah, it's a massive step, but I do think that it, it can have, huge payoffs um for an organization Yevgeny, thanks for being our guest wonderful to welcome you back to the show um and of course as we said clause match launched in the us this week officially as of monday so we will put some information related to that in the show notes we're going to go away for a few seconds and we'll be back with part two Part two, always shorter than part one. Uh, uh, we're going to talk for a second about TikTok, and it's nothing serious. This isn't a critique of anything that's going on. I know there's plenty of other people doing that, writing interesting articles about Chinese apps and whatever else, and they will do it justice and we won't. But what we wanted to talk about was the fact that people need to have a laugh. Uh, there is an article in The Guardian written by L. Hunt. People still need to laugh how lip-syncing spoofs save lockdown. I'm mentioning this because I'm going to post the video in our feeds it's brilliant female comedians taking on politics to tiktok and what i love about this first of all it tells me what we should be what we should be doing with our tiktok channel uh second because it's been sitting there going what do we do Subscribe. Uh, yeah yeah great great like three videos there brilliant perfect um but also it's kind of like giving tiktok or giving people who are a bit older if i'm being perfectly honest and maybe don't want to dance a voice on tiktok that's not to say that more mature people don't want to join in with the dances to blinding lights and whatever else or drake but this is this is funny this is funny watch it it is very good and i I think think tiktok's revolutionized like the whole lockdown period if i'm honest i knew i know it was around before so there's anyone from tiktok you know kind of listening don't don't get offended i know it's been around for for a while but i think it's just taken off because um yeah a lot of people just you know have, have chosen to express themselves on there um 
And my aunt is one of them. She, do you know my aunt has 30,000 followers on TikTok? No. Yeah, no joke. It's got to a point where she's got, she's actually had a few brands um, uh, email her and say, hey, do you want to collab? So I was, I was taking a mick out of her the other day. I was like, you've turned into some sort of, you know, like TikTok influencer or something. Um, but she was like, I don't really want to do this. Um, but yeah, she's just been making lip syncing videos or like singing videos over songs and stuff but um yeah but anyway i don't, I don't know who's following her god knows who these thirty thousand people are but um yeah they seem to to like what my aunt's putting out on a weekly basis or something yeah but yeah it's crazy well, but what, i think carry it on very very good yeah and look the other thing is comedy i think tends to still be fairly male dominated so it's brilliant to see that female comedians are using it in a really innovative way using that platform reaching a whole new audience and and being really funny with it taking yeah. the piss out of the absurdity of politics right now yeah and also po- the politicians and the politics that has been um on everyone's newsfeed i think so i watched mm. i watched that clip before this and uh yeah there's a lot of famous politicians that um are being kind of mimicked by them or or you know that sort of thing um it's good. It's good. And, and it's lighthearted. You know, I, I know where, where we're in such an area where, you know, people are so kind of hesitant to put stuff on social media because how is this going to come across? And, you know, do I look like I'm, I'm taking on a side? Do I look like I'm doing the right thing? Am I saying something that's politically correct? Sometimes you just got to have a bloody laugh. And when you're working 11, 12 hours a day and you're all sat at home and it's bloody hard, even that 50 second clip on TikTok, that can make your evening um share it out with a few friends have a laugh and then you're all good so yeah exactly exactly keep it going <laughs> right well i think that will li- li- well that will do for today's episode rather uh we will leave you to enjoy your weekends uh and fingers crossed there's nice weather returns it's chucked it down for the last two days here in the uk uh but yes we will talk to you soon thanks for your time akish cool no problem cheers <laughs>